Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Cain's proud attitude didn't allow him to repent and how the blood of Abel cried out from the ground. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. I will put enmity, God said, between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. I obey God and I do the works of my father. Therefore, I am the seed of my father, God. I got a name to make for myself. That's Cain. That's the seed of the devil. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday study in the book of Genesis. And so Cain was offended. Cain said, I brought some pretty nice fruit, pretty nice looking fruit as a sacrifice to God. And with all due respect, since God did not accept my sacrifice, I don't accept him as my God. In fact, I don't need any God to rule over my life. And I don't want, in essence he was saying to God, I don't want you to tell me anymore that I'm not doing well or that there's sin lying at my door. The only thing lying at my door is the desire to get out of here. And the sooner I get out, the happier I'll be. Now, Cain is so far from the picture of someone casting down their self-efforts, like the aprons of fig leaves and uh, their own works, like Adam and Eve did in their self-made, And Cain is not standing there saying, I'm sorry, God, I stand corrected. I embrace the way that you made for me to come in repentance. I should have come the way of the sacrifice. I should have come the way of the shedding of blood. I know from my parents that's what you wanted. And I saw that you accepted that when my brother Abel brought it. See? So because he chose to stay in his stubborn way, he forfeited his birthright. He was the firstborn. He forfeited his birthright, and he stays the seed of the devil. By pride, by a proud attitude. We've said it before. If you were to go down to hell today, and you were to analyze every single person in hell, you'd find there's one reason why everybody is in hell that's in hell. P-R-I-D-E. It's just pride. And that's Cain. And by his proud attitude, he refuses to come to God on God's terms, through the sacrifice, by the shedding of blood, and he forfeits his birthright. Now, that's not the first time we've seen people forfeit their birthrights, or we'll see, right? What are some other examples? Who forfeited his birthright? Well, that's the shining one, Esau. Esau, in Genesis 31-32, and Jacob coerced him a little bit, sell me your birthright, and Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. And his words were, what profit shall this birthright do to me? See, what profit? There's no profit. And the Bible says that when he said that, Esau despised his birthright. See? And he forfeited it, even though he was the firstborn, to Jacob. Another one who forfeited his birthright was Ishmael. Ishmael forfeited to Isaac. Why? Genesis 21, it speaks about Ishmael, 8 through 10, as the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born to Abraham. And the picture that is painted there of him mocking 
mocking. Oh, the promised one of God. See? And he forfeited his birthright. Reuben was the firstborn in Jacob's house. And in Genesis 35, 22, we read that Reuben lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and he forfeited his birthright to Judah. The oldest in David's house was a brother named Eliab, and he was the oldest one. And when David came, he was angry with David for coming to see the fight with the Philistines. And he said to, he said to David, he said, Why comest thou down hither? And this is in 1 Samuel 17, 28. And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down, thou mightest see the battle. Forfeit. Now, the second truth that we have here in Genesis 3.15 is that these two seeds are not only just two seeds, but they're an enmity with each other. And that enmity was a God-placed enmity. Remember what God said? I will put enmity between the two seeds. God wants there to be enmity between the two seeds. Now, why do you think God wants there to be enmity between the two seeds? Because he doesn't want any intermingling between the two. He wants there to be a holy separation. He wants his seed, the seed of God. Where was the seed of God? It was on this side, wasn't it? Yeah, right, okay, good. You all. He wants the seed of God. (laughs) He wants the seed of God to remain uncontaminated by the other seed or the world. That's why he said in Leviticus 8, 11, 44, he said, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself. See? And then in James 1, 27, he goes on to say that pure religion undefiled before God, among other things, he said, is to keep himself unspotted from the world. In Romans 12, 2, there's a commandment that says, and be not conformed to this world. And James 4, 4, a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. It describes all that and it says that the world is passing away. It's passing away. So the enmity was God-placed. And the enmity gets blossomed out for us in this chapter, in verse 8, when Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he kills him. He slew him. Now Abel, therefore, is the first, what? His first martyr, right? He's the first martyr. And we don't know, but probably Cain picked up a rock and bludgeoned him to death with this rock. And with each new cut or flow of blood that he caused, as that blood hit the ground, there must have been like a carpet of blood all around the murder scene. And the Hebrew verse reads in verse 10, the voice, singular, of thy brother's bloods, it's plural, crieth unto me from the ground. So each new pool of blood hit the ground, sent out his own cry, and together it was like a choir, a choir of many, many members all crying out to God. And that blood that hit the ground, that first blood that hit the ground, started a stream of blood that has continued all through history, even until now. And it's a stream of the blood of the martyrs. And it flows and it keeps flowing. And it was referred to 
in Matthew 23, verse 35, when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to those who were going to eventually murder him, he said that upon you may come, and here's the title that he gave it, all the righteous blood. He called it the righteous blood shed upon the earth. That was the title that he gave to the beginning of this stream that starts here in Genesis 4. The righteous blood shed upon the earth that God hears. He says, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. That was a stream that has been added to by the prophets, by Isaiah and the other prophets, that's been added to by Stephen, that's been added to by Jim Elliot, that's been added to by the John and Betty Stamm, the Chet Bitterman, and many, many others, most of whose name we don't know, but God does, and he hears the blood of each one. Now, also in this chapter, not only Abel the first martyr, but he's the first death, and he didn't exactly die of natural causes. And so, you know, we could kind of picture ourselves standing over Abel and asking the question, I told you that my friend the rabbi back east is a chaplain hospice and cancer ward, and the most frequently asked question that he gets is, Rabbi, please tell me what's going to happen to me after I die. So we're standing over Abel, and that's a very logical question. We could say, what happened to Abel? He's dead, lying there. Where is Abel? What happened? Well, if you like to turn to it, in Hebrews 12, 24 through 25, and it says, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. So now, it's the blood of sprinkling. That speaketh, present tense, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So we have the blood of the sprinkling, we have Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not him who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Three are speaking here. We have the blood of the sprinkling is speaking. We have Abel is speaking. We have God is speaking. And it's in the present tense when it says speaketh. Now, look at Genesis 4.10. Genesis 4.10, back to Genesis. And it says there, What hast thou done? God said, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now, here the tense of the verb is very important. The verb crieth, it's also in the present tense. So Akim is in the present tense. It's not Tsa'aku, which would have been in the past tense. It's in the present tense. So this verse is saying that the blood of Abel is crying. Well, Abel's dead. But the blood of Abel is crying. It's present tense. He doesn't say, you know, it's not saying when Abel died, as he was dying, I heard the blood back then, and it cried, past tense. He says, no, it's crying now. It's crying now. Well, where's the life of the flesh? It's in the blood. From Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So if the life of the flesh is in the blood, and the blood is present tense crying, that means Abel's alive. Otherwise, it would have been cried. Like your brother's blood cried unto me from the ground when your brother died. I heard the last words of his blood cried. But not what he says. He says, you killed your brother, but your brother's blood is still crying to me, and his life is in his blood. So well, then we ask, how can Abel be heard? 
is because Abel's still alive. Abel's still alive. Well, if he's still alive, where is he? Where is Abel? He's in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw unto the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them that they should rest for a little while until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. See, Abel's under the altar with all those other martyrs. And Abel, along with the other martyrs, has got one question they keep asking God. How long is it going to be before you avenge our blood? And Abel is being told, along with all the other martyrs under there, here, here's some white robes. Put these white robes on. And you need to wait a little bit because the stream is still flowing of the martyr's blood and there are still going to be others' blood that's going to be added into that stream. The righteous blood shed on the earth. It's only going to be a little while. He's alive. And that's why it says his blood is speaking, present tense. Now, when you think about heaven in the Old Testament, and now, because that's what we're talking about, you might say, well, heaven in the Old Testament, that's just not clear. That's not murky. I mean, I don't read in the heaven, I don't read about heaven in the Old Testament about the mansion of God and the presence of God and the crystal river of life and the tree of life and the streets of gold. I don't read that. So, so maybe it's just not clear. It's crystal clear. It's crystal clear, but it's in a different way than what we're used to. It's very, very clear. Now, consider you all know this, the last verse in Psalm 23. I shall dwell, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So heaven is called the house of the Lord. That's where God lives, in his house. Now, look at uh, Psalm 91.1, very familiar verse, which you're familiar with. That's really talking about heaven, when it says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So what's heaven called here? It's called the secret place. That's what it's called. It's called the secret place, the Basator. A secret hiding place, a place where you put something valuable. And that's what it's called here. The secret place of the Most High. And the shadow, in other words, in the presence of God, and the protection of, of God. That's heaven. Psalm 31.20, similar words. Thou shalt hide them, same word. Seder. Thou shalt hide them in the secret, same root, in the secret, it says, of thy presence, which is the word face, the secret of the face of God, from the pride of man, thou shalt keep them secretly. Again, see all these words? Secret, secret, secret. Secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Tom, how would you describe the secret of God's presence spoken about in Psalm 3120, which we've looked at today? You know, that's so vitally important. If we don't dwell 
as it says, in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty. If we are not hidden in the secret of his presence, then we will be affected by the pride of man. Then we will be destroyed by the strife of tongues. So it's absolutely essential that we understand what is the secret place of the Most High. How are we going to abide or dwell there if we don't know what it is? How are we going to how are we going to abide under the shadow of the Almighty if we don't understand what the shadow of the Almighty, the secret place, and the secret of his presence is? The secret place is the place where you and I meet secretly, privately, alone with God. That was the pattern in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would get up very early, even before dawn, and go to a place of himself alone, the Bible says, in order to meet with his God. That's the place where we meet with God face to face, so to speak. That's the place with an open Bible, with an open, transparent heart, with a spirit that is open and desiring for God to speak to us, where we come to God every morning and we said, oh God, this is the appointment time. This is so important to me. I am coming to this secret place, just you and me alone, so that you can speak to my heart through the Bible. I'm listening, Lord, so that I can speak to you through prayer. I know you're listening, Lord, so that this is going to be what defines me as a Christian. It's this secret place where you and I meet in the morning quiet time devotions, in the time which I have set apart that nothing is going to take the place of, in the time which I am set apart that I will never scurry away from in order to do the to-dos and the must-dos of the day. It's the secret place of the Most High is our morning quiet time devotions with God, where with an open Bible, with prayer on our lips, with an open heart, with where we come and we say, oh God, give me a word from your word that I can have throughout my day, a special word from you. That's meeting the secret place of the Most High. That's by abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. That's to be hidden in the secret of his presence in a place where they call secretly, this, these verses say, that God said, and David said, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. Oh, and he says he, he would, in the morning, he would lift up his prayer to God and his eyes would lift up. He would look up to God. That's the secret place of the, mo- of the presence of God. And today, Tom, you were also talking about the voice of Abel's blood crying out. It's a pretty intense thought to think about that. Now, what is significant about the fact that Abel's blood cried out? Well, the most significant thing about that is the fact that his blood did cry out. And as we pointed out, it was in the present tense. It was a continual crying out because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And when his blood hit the ground, then God heard the blood of Abel up into heaven. And that's what's so insignificant about it because the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood. His blood hit the ground like Abel's blood hit hit the ground. And when it hit the ground, the voice of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ also was speaking, was crying out. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that's the same, Jesus' blood is the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh 
present tense. Better things than that of Abel. What, who, what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and sacrifice is his blood that speaks to God. His blood pleads to God, don't let the sinner die that has put my blood over the door of his heart, like on the Passover night, on the doorpost of his of his heart, like on Pesach. Don't let that sinner be touched by the angel of death, because my blood is speaking. I died for this person. I sacrificed for my for this person. My soul, as it says in, in Isaiah fifty three, was poured out unto death for this person. All that is speaking. And so it's important, as we see Abel's blood was speaking, to realize that the great blood of the Messiah, the atoning blood, is speaking also better things because Abel's blood could not save us. Abel's blood could not save a soul. But the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that pure Lamb of God, who was sinless, who never sinned, His blood speaks better things, and his blood pleads before God the Father for the souls of those that have fled under his blood, umbrellaed by his blood as a protection, and it speaks, forgive this sinner on the basis of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you also quoted another verse today that had a very interesting phrase that we should keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Now, can you elaborate on what it means for a person to keep himself unspotted from the world? Yeah, isn't it great in James one twenty seven that he says we should keep ourselves unspotted from the world? All right, let's get into it. Unspotted from the world. What's the one, two, three to be not to be to keep ourselves from being unspotted from the world. Number one, we as believers need to, in order to be unspotted from the world, we need to not be influenced to sin. That's Psalm 1, 1 and 2, where, where David, king of Israel, said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel, that's the influence, of the ungodly, nor st- standeth in the way, as in along the way, of sinners, that's under the influence nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, you know, the critical, the everything's wrong with everybody else type of seat. But instead, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Why does he meditate day and night in the law of the Lord? Because he's made himself to delight in the law of the Lord. Therefore, he meditates in his day and, and day and night. So number one, to not be influenced by sin, as he told us in Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Number two, to not sin against God. Don't sin against God. To be unspotted, keep, keep yourself unspotted from the world, is to not sin against God. Whoa, tall order to not sin against God. Exactly how are we going to do that, to not sin against God? Well, Psalm 119.11 gives us the key. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That goes back to what we were just talking about, the secret of the presence. In the secret of the presence, we get a word from the Lord Jesus Christ. We tuck it away as hiding. No one can see it. Putting it into our hearts, thinking about it throughout the day like a like a beautiful gem, pulling it out throughout the day, looking at it from different angles, marveling on it, delighting in it, meditating on it. That's what it means to hide God's heart, to hide God 
God's word in the heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. For what purpose? That I might not sin against thee. All right? Let's say that you do sin against you do sin against God. What do we mean? Let's say you sin against God. We sin against God, unfortunately. So God has covered us for that. Wherewithal, Psalm one nineteen nine. Wherewithal shall shall a young man cleanse his ways? I've sinned. I've sinned. What can I possibly do to be cleansed? What could I possibly do to to be cleansed from this sin? Wherewithal the answer is given by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Also, the Bible tells us. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what do I do? What do I do to keep myself in a mind frame where I'm not going to give in to sin? The Bible is very specific. It says that we should look for, that we should expect the imminent coming of the Lord. And if we do that, we are going to be purifying ourselves. Here's the verse, 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Lots of information in that. It talks about we're the sons of God, and we are not what we should be, but we know that we are going to be what he is. And so it says, every person that has this hope in himself of seeing him and being like him, he says he purifies himself, and that's what we need to keep ourselves from sinning. Thank you for joining us today. Now, February's Resource of the Month is a new DVD teaching series called What is a Jew by Choice versus a Jew by Birth? And Tom Cantor will passionately teach you in this DVD about the history of the Jewish people and their choices they've made, as well as the Gentiles and the choice we make today about being grafted in. This teaching brings in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a great gift for any Christian or Jewish person searching for the truth of the Messiah. Now, Tom Cantor isn't just a great radio teacher. He's an amazing visually animated preacher in this unique DVD presentation that you're going to want to own. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org to order your copy online.